and welcome to another episode of Worldwide Wonderful Women. I am your host, Paula Harris, and this podcast is for women who are all about learning how to live in God's divine power when yours is diminished. It is produced on behalf of Transformed Worldwide Ministries. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome. I'm glad that you're here today. This is episode number 335, and it's entitled Dealing with Those of Different Opinions. I don't know about you, but it has made me sad to see how those within the body of Christ are arguing and debating very heavily with one another, and to see the division instead of the unity over the Word of God. James chapter 1 verse 20 says, The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. So are getting angry with one another or being wrathful about a topic or in regards to individuals is not going to work the righteousness of God. We know that with the Lord, there is one incident that people build a doctrine on of Jesus turning the tables over in the temple. But you also see Jesus when he rebuked Peter for getting angry and aggressive and cutting off the ear of the soldier when they came to get Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So God's word is always there to equip us on how to live godly. So I want to share with you today 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 15 to 26. And I want to stick with the scriptures because I don't want to just give you my opinion or just talk about this. I want to give you the instruction that Paul gave Timothy on how to conduct himself when dealing with those promoting false doctrine or a different doctrine that is taught in the Word of God. So let's dive right into this. If you get a chance, read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 15 to 26, but I'm going to point out each verse and just make some comments. And I pray that you will receive the instruction and live it out as Paul had given it to Timothy. All right, verse 15, it says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, don't get mixed up in regards to approved versus acceptance. We are all accepted in Christ, but this word approved means something else. Christ has made us acceptable when we received salvation through him. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6, it says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. So Jesus himself has made us acceptable. It was work on his part. But then after salvation, there is a work on our part, and that is to do our best to present ourselves to God as one approved. Now, approval here means one has been put to the test and measures up, thus winning the approval of the person that was testing him. So here we see that the one that is doing the testing is God. And we should desire to be approved by God once we are tested. What is approved 
is what remains after being tested, like metals that have been refined by fire. So what is it that God will approve? Well, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles or rightly divides the word of truth. So rightly divide literally means cutting straight. It means correctly interpreting the word of God. It certainly takes diligent study of the word to rightly divide it or to handle it correctly. So teachers of the word of God, and really all of us as Christians, should make every effort to handle God's truth accurately. All of the word of God is true, and there are no contradictions when rightly laid out. We should never add to or take away from God's word as instructed in the book of Revelation. Now, one thing that we clearly understand from this passage too is that the shame of God's disapproval awaits those who mishandle his word. So first of all, study God's word so you know what your Lord says and approves of and be careful in leaning on your own understanding. All right, now verse 16. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. The more you study and know God's word, the less you will feel the need to get into godless arguments with others because you will understand more fully the authority and power of God, not only working in your own life, but that of others. And you won't try to play Holy Spirit or try to control others and the situations that arise in your life. Don't get into bickering with others. It's only going to ruin those who listen to it. They and you will become more and more ungodly in your attitudes and actions when you conduct yourself that way. Verse 17, their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. The way in which evil teaching spreads is compared to gangrene, or you can even think of cancer. And most of us know how dreadful these diseases can be in spreading rapidly in the human body and destroying the tissue wherever it goes. So the same is true with false teaching and doctrine. It needs to be cut out like gangrene or cancer because it will kill and ruin a person or even a whole church. In contrast to God's truth, it only promotes ungodliness. Reading into the text of God's word, what is clearly not there is not going to help anybody and it will be deadly and eat away at anyone's soul. Paul points out two false teachers to Timothy, Hymenaeus and Philetus. Verse 18, who have departed from the truth, they say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. These two had wandered away from the truth regarding the crucial doctrine of the resurrection. This was probably an early form of Gnosticism that emphasized more of a spiritual resurrection against the Christian belief of a bodily resurrection of both Christ and also of Christians. And this was very dangerous because bodily resurrection 
is of utmost importance in our Christian doctrine. Without it, the truth of the gospel is destroyed. And so that is why Paul said that these two false teachers destroy the faith of some. And we too have to be careful not to spread false doctrine because we can easily destroy the faith and eternal destination of others. Now, verse 19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So in spite of the harmful effects of this kind of teaching and the defection of these two, and even their followers, it must not shake Timothy's confidence. Paul stresses the positive truth that God's solid foundation will always stand firm. Various explanations have been given as to what is meant by the solid foundation of God. Some say the foundation is the church or his word, as God's word will always stand firm since it's eternal. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3.11, Christ is referred to as the foundation. So in looking at this, it could be all three a combination. No doubt the foundation is whatever has been established by God himself and that which will endure in spite of all the falsehood that may take place in and out of the church. This scripture says that God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. Now, a seal is a mark of ownership and also an emblem of guarantee and security. So the foundation of God has a twofold seal. There is a divine side to it and a human side as well. The divine side is that the Lord knows those who are his. This is an intimate experiential knowledge that only can be obtained in a relationship with the Lord. Remember what he says in John chapter 10 verses 27 and 28, how the Lord said that he knows them and that they shall never perish. So the Lord knows his own. The Lord knows you if you are a child of his. And then in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, he says to those that are not his children, I never knew you, depart from me. God knows all of those that are his. But now the human side of this seal is that everyone who names the name of Christ should depart from evil or sin. Our relationship with our Father, with our Lord in heaven, should motivate us to live a life of purity. In other words, those professing to be Christians can prove the reality of their profession by lives of holiness and godliness. The true Christian should have no dealings with unrighteousness. So the seal on God's foundation signifies his ownership of those who are true believers and the guarantee that all who have been converted will prove the reality of their new life by departing from unrighteousness. Today, with all the lies, deceit, false teaching, and unrighteous teaching and living, we must take the same advice given to Timothy and live it out for ourselves. Like him, 
We must reject unrighteous teaching and conduct and make every effort to live holy, godly lives and to always remember that God is sovereign and we can rest secure that his foundation is sure and will not crumble by the efforts of men and that his will is going to be accomplished. Verse 20, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Now we understand every family in their home has their special and valued dishes, as well as their everyday inexpensive dishes that they use. In this illustration, we understand that the large house refers to Christianity in general. In a broad sense, Christianity includes two types of believers. Clearly, the reference is to distinguish two groups that are within the same house. Now, I said that slow because I want you to get that. There are certain things that we need to notice about these vessels. First of all, there's an important distinction between the materials of which the vessels are made. There are vessels of gold and silver, which would refer to faithful believers who are faithful and useful in serving Christ. Then there are vessels of wood and clay, which refer not to unbelievers, though you may have some teach that. Unbelievers are not a part of the same house as believers. These vessels are in the same house. So the wood and clay refer to the unfaithful within the body of Christ. Those in particular who were evil workers in that they taught false doctrine, such as Hymenaeus and Philetus. They were believers who failed to honor the Lord by teaching his truth. Secondly, there's a difference in the uses to which these vessels are put or used. Some are for special purposes and honor, and some for common use or dishonor. Some are used for the highest purposes in the house, and some for the lowest. For example, you know, if I wanted to use an example, it would be like vessels for honor would refer to men like Paul and Timothy, whereas those for dishonor would refer to such men as Hymenaeus and Philetus. Now let's look at the next verse, verse 21. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. For those that are within the body of Christ who cleanse themselves from the behavior that you see in those vessels that are clay and wood, they will be able to be specially used, made holy and useful and prepared or equipped to do the good work of the master. So we need to be alert and avoid contamination from wicked doctrine so we can be used by God for those special purposes and made holy in our conversations, our conduct and our character, and then be useful and equipped to do any good work that God would have us or assigned us to do. Verse 22, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Not only is Timothy to flee, 
but then he is to follow or pursue. There is the negative and the positive spoken here. He is to flee the evil desires of youth. Now, youthful lust may refer not only to the physical appetite, but also to the lust of money, fame, pleasure, self-will, impatience, pride, and all of the unholy desires that would draw anyone from the path of purity and righteousness. And instead, he, including all of us, are to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. This list of virtues are defining what we should be as far as true godliness. Remember, all that Paul is instructing Timothy to do in these passages are for us to do as well, especially today as we find ourselves in conflict at times with one another regarding doctrine. All right, verse 23. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Personality differences, different social and religious backgrounds combined with the remains of our own sinful nature will mean that human relationships will always present a challenge. And there will always be things that we do not agree on that can burst out into arguments and quarrels. And it is sad to see how divided the church is today and how we are acting in this way that we are told in this passage not to act like. We are not to have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Now I can see someone saying, wait a minute, Paula, my arguments are not stupid. They're valid and they're important, and I'm standing up for the truth of God. Well, in sharing your point, do you strive? Do you quarrel? Do you argue? And if you are sharing the truth, are you doing it with heated emotions? Well, if you are, stop it. That's what this scripture is saying. Verse 24, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach not resentful. If you are one of God's faithful servants, we are told here what to do. We are told to, first of all, not be quarrelsome. Although we must stand for the truth, we must not be contentious or argumentative. You should not be a fighter, but a promoter of unity. Then we're told to be kind to everyone. We must be kind or gentle to all, not some, not just those who are in agreement with us, but to all in the way that we approach them with the purpose of instructing them so that we're not trying to just win an argument, but we're trying to win them back to Christ and to true doctrine. We must be patient with those who are slow to understand and even with those who do not seem ready to accept the truth of God's word. We must extend patience kindness, gentleness to those who oppose us. Then we have to be able to teach. We must be able to communicate truth from God's word and in doing so protect the community of believers from false doctrine. And that is going to take your personally studying the word of God, diving into it and hearing what God's opinion is on a subject and not leaning on your own. And then It tells us not to be resentful. We have to be able to tolerate difficulties and opposition without becoming resentful. Right now, do you have any resentment 
toward anyone else or any group of people. Then, verse 25, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Please, please listen to what God is telling us to do with all these lies, deceit, and division, even in the body of Christ. Here is what he tells us to do with those who oppose us or hold a different opinion or view than we do. First of all, gently instruct them. Our opponents may enjoy arguments and quarrels, but we should not be drawn into them. Instead, we should respond to the verbal attacks of our opponents with gentleness and with quiet instruction, even though they might oppose the truth at the present. We as servants of the Lord must display the character of our Lord. Then it says, hope that God will grant them repentance. The aim of correcting someone in their doctrine is repentance. We must pray that God will use our teaching to convict our opponents so that they will accept the truth, repent, and then be freed from the control of the devil as what is expressed in the next verse in verse 26. This is what should be our prayer, not only for those with whom we differ on doctrine, but also for all of those people whom the devil have blinded. Only the truth is going to be able to set them free. Repentance also is not just sorrow for sin. That's remorse. Sorrow, though, can lead somebody to repentance. But repentance is changing of one's mind from false beliefs and doctrine to acknowledging the truth of God or true doctrine, whereby one acknowledges their sin and is willing to change direction and turn from their sin. It is being willing to go in a different direction. That is what repentance is. But a lot of times people are so often unwilling to admit that they are wrong. The next thing this scripture says is that they would be led to the knowledge of the truth. Hopefully, the change in attitude towards sin will result in a change in lifestyle. And normally it does. So what's the bottom line in trying to persuade someone to hear the truth that God's word presents? Why do you want someone else to listen to what you have to say or to share with them regarding God's word and his doctrine? Well, now verse 26 will tell us in verse 26, it says, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. The goal is always healing, never vindictive when dealing with those who oppose us or do not agree with us. The purpose must always, always, always be to edify Christ's body and not tear them down, to evangelize the lost and win them to Christ. We should always pursue unity, not division, in the way that we act and speak. When another person, especially a believer, is overtaken by false teaching, they must be treated with gentleness and Christ-like love in the hope that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will by what? 
by spreading lies and false doctrine. Satan is behind all false teaching and division in the church. False teaching and all of its negative consequences in the church, in the body of Christ, are always the handiwork of Satan. But God in his grace can redeem all people and all situations if we would just ourselves behave Christ-like and how we handle these people that are in opposition and the situations that come upon us. We have to avoid being trapped ourselves where we would be captive to do the will of Satan and not of God by being argumentative and not being gentle and by uh, being resentful and getting angry, all this blah, 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 blah. When we attack and argue and become angry and get into shouting matches with others, we're not reaching them with the love and truth of God. We have just become an instrument for Satan to use. We must evangelize unbelievers by being Christ-like and edify believers by being Christ-like as well. And all the differences of opinions, we are not to please ourselves, but God. We are in a spiritual battle and are not in a fight against flesh and blood, but all the principalities and rulers of darkness. So we need to stop fighting in fleshly ways and start to fight this spiritual war with spiritual weapons. So follow what this scripture taught us today and share it with others so that they too can be equipped to fight a good fight as well so that our Lord may be glorified in all that we do. Listen to this podcast again over and over as many times as you have to, so that you will be able to deal with those who have a difference of opinion or who are spreading false teachings or doctrines or promoting lies, even within the body of Christ. I pray that you will. Until he brings us together again, hopefully next month, smile. Jesus loves you. Thank you for listening. To make sure you do not miss any future episodes, please subscribe to our podcast. We want all to be able to live in God's divine power when theirs is diminished. Also, sign up for our monthly newsletter on our website, twmforjesus.org. Please do share our podcast with others. And Lord willing, we'll be together next month.